We are in a series through the Gospel of John, and today, if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We've been going verse by verse through this. Last week, I got up here, um, and I knew something might happen. I had nine pages of notes, and I had like 26 slides, and I was like, I feel like I don't know what to do with this text because I'm so excited, and I think this might be a two-part sermon. And sure enough, we got several, like, I don't know, past three pages and into my fourth page of notes, and I looked at the clock, and I was like, guys, I'm just going to listen to the Lord and stop right here, and we landed the plane. So we'll have that audio up on our podcast if you want to listen to that later this coming week. I've been behind a little bit on that, kind of getting several things ready um, for, the, for our work day that we had yesterday here around the church campus. What I want to do is read this text again and really let us feel this. And I want you to hear this, that these guys, Jesus has told them about that he's about to leave them, that some of them are going to deny him, and that they're going to struggle, and there are troubled times ahead of them. That's what's on the context of this. And, and so then you can feel that there's this troubling spirit amongst them, and God comforts their troubled spirits with a command. And uh, it's, it's to believe in him. So let's read this, and then let's unpack it a little bit more. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, uh, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live." In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you and you and me, and I in you. So let's hit one slide of review. And we want to see that he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And this forever finishes the idea 
that the Hebrew Scripture presents a cruel God and Jesus showed us to be a nicer God. There are people that believe today that the God of the Old Testament, because of all the violence and all the things that happen, He's a cruel God and almost a different God. And then there's Jesus. And so Jesus is loving. We'll just believe in Him. But the Old Testament in Exodus, which we won't turn to today, but Exodus 34, you write that in your margin of your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. You won't go to hell for it. It's a workbook. You ought to, you ought to write that down and you ought to know this. That God has always been good and God has always been gracious and He always desired people to turn to Him, to know Him, to experience the peace He has for them and the joy He has for them, but the pride in every human's heart pushes God away. We have all turned away. We have all gone astray. Like sheep without a shepherd, the Scripture says, we've all turned away. And you know how sheep wander? They usually don't just bolt out like a bull, like, you know, being ridden. You know, they don't just go berserko, right? They go, oh, I wonder what that is over there. Oh, and I wonder what that is over there. And they step themselves away from the shepherd's care. The Scripture says every human being does this. And so as we understand this, uh, all these other passages that we can see, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Clark, a commentator, says this, Could any creature say these words? Do they not evidently imply that Christ declared Himself to His disciples to be the everlasting God? In other words, here's what He's saying. Guys, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He's not saying that He is the Father, because He said often He prays to the Father. He's going to the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And the Spirit's not the Son. And the Son's not the Spirit. And the Spirit's not the Father, and the Father, if I've confused you, welcome. I can't explain these things, but as, as we talked about last week, Tozer has a great line about this. He says, um, God is not a God of confusion, so where He gives clarity, let's make sure that we clarify, but also let's allow mystery where mystery is given. You're never going to understand everything about everything, But you do need to understand what the Scripture tells you that you should lean forward to. And here's the deal. Jesus is the eternal God, the Son, made flesh so we could see the heart of God. Do you want to know what God's heart is? Look at Jesus. I challenge you, if you don't believe in Jesus, to read the Gospel of John from start to finish. I've done this with a football player just recently, and it is changing his life as he is reading the Gospel of John. And then you know what he did? He kept trucking. And now he's like in Corinthians. And he's like, that Paul guy is pretty cool. And I'm like, praise God. See, I mean, you just lean in and see this, that he shows us. He says, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. And what do we get out of this is that John, Jesus repeated something emphasized in the gospel of John. That Jesus lived and spoke in constant dependence upon God the Father. And he did nothing outside of his authority and guidance. This is why when we sang the, 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 the song that would kind of bring up the Apostles' Creed, or we, uh, the I Believe song, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Spirit. That Jesus is modeling this. Uh, it also truncates and, and over, helps us under, overcome this theology of, uh, well, some would call it cat theology if we're trying to make it simple. Like God loves me because I'm special. Like He needed me. And I want you to know that God didn't do this because He needs you. He is 
needless. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, they didn't make man because they were lonely. That's cat theology. Be careful of cat theology. Sorry if you love cats. I'm sorry. I won't pick on it anymore. So he says, believe in me, or believe at least in the works that I'm doing for the sake of themselves. And there's these three assurances that Jesus gives in the text. One that we got to a little bit last week, and we'll kind of keep trucking. When Jesus departs to the Father, his work is going to continue on earth. Hello. Did you see this? He says, what I'm doing, it's never meant to stop. People are going to keep loving the unlovable. People are going to keep warning the people who harden their heart and live prideful lives. People are going to keep serving all kinds of people. We're going to keep telling people the truth. And he says all of these things. He says, most assuredly, these first of these assurances is that the fear that these guys had was this. This is the end. The work is over. We're all getting fired. Because they've just been told they're all going to deny him. He's going to go to a place they won't know. They're thinking, this is it, it's over. And he says, no, the works I do, you're going to do, and all the people who believe in me are going to do. And this is encouraging for me. Because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we know that that's not always pointing to everything that is organized to declare itself to be a church is the church. But Jesus is always building his true church. He says, greater works than these will they do. I want to say this. Jesus did not mean greater in the sense of more sensational. That's not the context. If you look at the context of the Gospel of John, he's saying greater in magnitude. He is saying, listen, this is going to move. He is hanging out with a few dudes who have not traveled very far from home. They are not guys that have like, uh, you know, like the Spanish conquistadors who, you know, traveled all over the places of the earth. These guys are staying in a certain geographical area, but Jesus is saying this is going to do something powerful. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, but also writes down the, the, the book of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And one simple phrase, Luke says it really well. He says, these guys followed the Lord and they turned the world upside down. What's Jesus saying? He says, man, this is going to continue. And you go, well, how do we know that's true? You're here today. Uh, my friend Brad Luter says it this way. He says, in a hundred years, the only thing that people are going to remember is Jesus. They're not going to remember maybe you and me. They're not going to remember all the things that we thought were big, paramount things. But you know what they are going to remember? Jesus. And so he says he is going to leave behind, if you haven't caught this yet, a victorious working family of followers who spread his kingdom to more people and places than Jesus ever did in his life and ministry. One commentator, Morris, Leon Morris, says this, what Jesus means we may see in the narratives of Acts. There were a few miracles of healing, but the emphasis is on the mighty works of conversion. On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to the little band of believers than throughout Christ's entire earthly life. There we see literal fulfillment of greater works than these shall he do. Because I go to the Father. Jesus would soon explain that when He ascended to heaven, He would send the Holy Spirit. And we see it right here in this text. And we'll see it in 15. 
And we'll see it literally coming to the, the, the fruition as we go through the text. It was because Jesus went to the Father that the Holy Spirit came upon his people and enabled them to do greater works. And so if you're new to this stuff and, and you've seen Christians and, and you're kind of like coming to church and you're trying to kind of like spiritually discern some things in your life about what is true and you think that Christianity is a bunch of do-good people, you know, like don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, and don't date girls who do. If you think that's kind of what we are going for and there's this, this big clean up your life on the outside and you just try hard to do things and God accepts you, that is what I call country, good old boy, southern religion and it is not biblical at all. God is more concerned about the inward than the outward. He is more wanting to change you from the inside of your soul. He changes your want to her. You're like, I don't even know what that is. It's the thing that drives your brain to want to lean in to learn more about the Lord. Don't obey God because of the pressure on the outside. You should obey God because of the Holy Spirit's conviction on the inside. He's not wanting you to clean up. He accepts you just as you are. He's not asking you to perform for Him. He is asking you to trust and obey Him. He wants you just to let go and move into what He has for you. And He says, when you do this, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And I think some of us here, we're probably going, "Mm, really? Would He really? But you need to know once you once you turn and and you turn and trust Jesus, everything that you thought usually gets turned upside down. Things that you thought matter don't matter. Things that you thought don't matter matter. God changes your heart in such a way that what you desire is in line with His will. The hard part is when you find believers who are trying to live a double life, and He's not answering everything they're asking in His name. Because the Scripture says, you ask, and James says, you ask and you amiss because you have selfish motives. God is not going to get behind that. There's another thing that we need to see in the text of assurances. Number two, when Jesus departs, He will send the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, Jesus had just demonstrated this remarkable love in John 13. In those first five verses, he washes their feet. He tells them, he shows them a loving response would be to keep his commandments. And then what we can see from that is this, and I want you to catch this. He commanded them to wash one another's feet after the example he just displayed when he did that. So he said, I've done this so that I want you to do this for each other. Can I just say this? If you're looking for a church and, and some of you have been, you've been coming here for a while and you're praying about whether God's leading you here and all these things, I've said this in, in the next step classes and I'll say it again. You are not coming to join a pastor. You are coming to join a church. And we need to love each other in covenantal love. You know why? Because there's no other place that does this outside of us. How Jesus said that they will know you're my disciples It's how you love one another. It's that simple. But then he commanded them to love one another after the pattern of his love to them. He didn't just look in the one specific moment that he washed their feet. He pointed back as long as he's been walking with them, how he's treated them. And he says, I have always done this. 
They never got that. That's why they had to be reminded. You know why? Because when they walked in there, they were having an argument, and it went like something like this. I'm better than you. You're not better. Shoot. You know, I'm going to be in charge. No, man, I'm better than you. I did blah, blah, blah. And they're arguing who's the greatest. Then the one who is the greatest stands up and puts an apron around his feet, his waist, gets a bowl and a water, takes the lowest servant's job in the house, gets down, and starts washing their feet. And I'll tell you who what they did. They stopped arguing about who the greatest was, and they realized what greatness looks like. And so he tells them, done this always. And then he commanded them to put their faith in God the Father and in Jesus himself. They're saying, he's saying, trust me, learn what I am like. This is why I have come, is to live a life that fulfills the law. Stop geeking out over the law. Geek out over what I have told you and taught you. And I've come to show you what it looks like and how we can see the miraculous, but also lean in and see the everyday nuances of how ordinary becomes extraordinary. And this is a fair measure of our love for Jesus. It's easy to think of loving Jesus in merely sentimental and emotional terms. This is where people are today. It's like we, we are nominal Christians. Facebook wants me to select a religion. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, we're in the South. You get outside the Bible Belt, that changes a little bit, right? You know, you start realizing people are like, dude, I don't even want to claim that. And I want to lean in. I want you to understand that we don't need to love Jesus in sentimental and emotional ways. It is wonderful when our love for Jesus has sentiment and passion. But it must always be connected to keeping His commandments or it isn't love at all. We have to. We have to do this. And for the believer, disobedience is not only a failure of performance or a failure of strength. In some cases, it's a failure of love. Those who love God must obey Him most joyfully and naturally to say, I really love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Then I ask you, do you keep His commandments? Now, I'm not saying you're perfect, but I am telling you the proper source of obedience is love. It is love. Spurgeon said this, Obedience must have love for its mother, nurse, and food. The essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which promotes the deed rather than in the deed itself. In other words, I want to go out and I want to help people. But I want to get out and I want to help people because I have been mothered, nursed, and fed by the love of God and it leads me to action. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5? The love of Christ constrains us. Have you experienced that yet? Where it's like it's just like you're like, man, I I, I got to do this. Like I'm so full of what he's doing in me that I have to tell people about this. It makes you have an extra measure of patience with people. And he says, I'm going to pray to the Father. He'll give you another helper because they feared this. Jesus is abandoning us. And when he leaves us, we won't know what to do. And they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have less help. Jesus is saying you're going to have more help. Um, another helper. The language in the Greek leads us to say another of the same kind. 
Um, this is in contrast to a different kind. Just as Jesus shows the nature of God the Father, so the Holy Spirit, being another of the same kind, would show the nature of Jesus. And one in New Testament verse, it says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. In other words, everything that enabled Jesus to live a godly life, and I want you to hear me, if you'll turn and trust God and believe in God, will become available to you and enable you to live a life of godliness just like Jesus did. He's saying, man, I'm telling you, another helper, another of the same kind. It would be wonderful to live the Christian life with Jesus, wouldn't it? Him walking beside us every step of the way. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would fulfill just that. I want you to lean in. The greater work described in John 14, what we just read, is impossible without the empowering described in the later part of what we've read. I'm trying to tell you, Baptists are really good about this. We have the Father, the Son, and Holy Ingenuity. That is wrong. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We cannot... He, it's not an it. He. He can be grieved. Do you feel that? I've been a part of fellowships where God is grieved. It is a lonely, religious, dry, backbiting, not peaceful group to be around. And I'm just telling you, that's just not what God has. The greater work is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And that He may abide with you forever, the text says. And He says, but you know Him for He dwells with you and He will be in you. Can I just say, when I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't even have a Bible growing up. And so uh, that night, January 20th of 1999, I went to First Baptist Fort Smith's uh, student ministry because a really uh, cute girl asked me to go to church. That's it. I went, and I actually went back in uh, 98 in the December uh, Wednesday nights, and I thought it was pretty cool because, you know, hanging out with people, different things, playing basketball, doing stuff. That girl was cute, so I'll go. And, and then on January 20th, 1999, I realized... All my good old boy Southern religion, that's what I believed in. I was a Boy Scout till I thought Scouts wasn't cool, and then I quit that, and then I went and hung out with my cousins, who they hung out with a guy that just graduated, who that guy had a deadbeat dad, so we had a party house. So here I am as a middle school kid, getting to hang out with a bunch of people that needed to grow up and get moving in life, but they didn't, and so we had this party house situation thing going, and I remember for me, um, I remember January 20th, just realizing, man... Like everything Jesus is, is, is powerful. And I have never heard any of this. I never knew I had a need to ask him to do anything for me. I just didn't know that. And so I, I remember praying a prayer of surrendering and trusting him to follow him. And I said, Lord, I just want you to be the boss of my life. I've messed things up. I'm ready to do life how you want to do it. Change my heart, God. Change my life. But man, I, I now I stand here as a 38-year-old man and that, that humble beginning began a relationship that God revealed truth to me over time. As the more I studied the Scriptures, the more I was mentored by men that were faithful to God, the more I served the Lord. And even today, I'm still growing and learning every day. I mean, I told people when we planted Forefront Church in 2013... Uh, I was a youth pastor coming into pastoring. I, I'm like, I feel like anyone who's known me for years, I just need to say, I am sorry. 
you know? And, and, and please be patient with me, right? God is growing me every day, and that's this journey that I'm on, but I want to tell you that these things are not Lee having Lee's willpower. This is God's Spirit working in Lee, chiseling on Lee's heart, bringing out all the things that need to go away, revealing to him that there is a better way, and walking with him, and shepherding him, and molding him. And I'm just, I'm grateful to the Lord because this, in contrast to the world, there's these three aspects of the disciples' relationship to the Holy Spirit. It's in contrast to the world that the disciple of Jesus should know the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to say. No one really set me down early on and explained it. But there was something more powerful in the gifting that I received in that surrendering moment that was discovered later, but was always present when I trusted Him. I was indwelled with the Spirit of God. And you need to know that. And in, in contrast to the world, the disciple of Jesus should have the Holy Spirit with them. We should not only know Him, you should have Him. And then take this one step further. In contrast to the world, the disciple of Jesus should have the Holy Spirit in them. I am, I am not an advocate of, of a second blessing theology. But as a pastor, you need to know I don't throw out the gifts of the Spirit. I, I, I just, if you're going to throw that out, then what else are you going to throw out? We're going to start taking scriptures and say, well, that's not here. This, and you need to know this. And as we walk this out, I'm here I am to tell you, I believe it is, it is on because God is still on the move. And I'm here to tell you that that happens at conversion. And I'm here to tell you, conversion is a very big deal to God. And it ought to be to this church. When someone prays, listen, we're not telling you to ask Jesus into your heart. I'm telling you to surrender and realize you are dead in your sins and you will never have life till you turn to Jesus. Spiritually, I didn't give God anything. I surrendered and I trusted Him and my heart was flatlining spiritually and the moment I said, I trust in Christ, in Christ alone, beep, 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 and the recovery has been every day since then. I am only now recovering and pursuing the kingdom of God. This is what's going on, guys. It ought to get us excited that He is moving in these ways. And then lastly, the assurance today. When Jesus departs, He will make Himself known to His disciples. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you the disciples feared when Jesus leaves, then our discipleship program is over and it was barely started. Their discipleship program wasn't finished. It is just beginning. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, it's going to get good from here. And there is this amazing thing that you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me. Even Paul writes about this, even though he's not a disciple he becomes later off Acts 9, knocked off his horse. He has his conversion to the Lord. And he goes back and goes to retreats away for a few, a few years and he 
studies everything, and, and the Spirit really disciples him in that moment. And he comes back and he starts preaching to, to Gentiles. He starts talking to people. And then these people are seeing people move. And finally, disciples have this meeting with him. And they have to decide, what are we going to do with Paul and his ministry and all this move that we're seeing in his life? And what are we telling him to tell people? And then as they're talking about this, then later you got to know Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 5.16. And he says this, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. We don't know Him just as a Jesus being a human being. We know Him as the Sovereign Lord. Colossians 1.16, that everything was made by Him, through Him, and for Him. Or as John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know about God? Or do you know God? Are you churched? Or have you ever had a moment where you have allowed God to move into your life where you've experienced change? Not churched. This union, breaking it down out of the text. You don't have to write these down. You can even reflect on them. This union is marked by knowledge of God's will because we have His commandments, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm in relationship with Him then I know Him and, and you know Him. And, and, and we know what He cares about. We know what He's for. And we're willing to walk with Him because of that way. We, we know the way He has. This union is marked by obedience to God's will because the text says we keep them. The way I like to think of it is, um, I've kept my keys in my pocket this entire time. If I want to go unlock a door, if I want to go on a journey, i got to keep these. I got to keep them close. Take my keys. Watch how disoriented I get. Take my keys, and I got to go somewhere. And I'll be like, Where are my keys? Where's my keys? And I'll be like looking around, and then I'll be like, God, help me find my keys. Like literally, that's, that's the life I live, right? Anybody in that boat? I keep my keys on me and near me. Listen to me. Keep his commandments near you and on you. Put his commandments away from you. Watch how disoriented you live. Watch how disoriented you get. He says, keep it. It's marked with obedience. And then let me move on. This union is marked by love. Because he says, this is he who loves me. In other words, I'm doing it, but I'm doing it because I know him and because I love him. I want Andy to do what I say, but I want Andy to do what I say because hopefully Andy knows I love him. And I'm not trying to give Andy busy work. If I told you to do something, there was a good reason why I told you to do it. I want him to do it. You know what Jesus wants me to do? The same. Lee, I've told you to do this. I'm not trying to do this to take anything from you, but to reveal to you something good. Let me move in. This union is marked by relationship and reception of love with God, the Father. He says, we'll be loved by my Father. There's this a, mo a moment of feeling like the weight of the world is lifted off your shoulders when you see people trust in God. And they'll say that. But you know, you start feeling if God's for you, who can be against you? Then let me lean in more. This union is marked by revelation of Jesus Himself. Because He says, and will manifest my, I will manifest myself to Him. And so this 
revelation of leaning in. And can I tell you the last thing that I've really crescended to? Because everybody was like, amen, amen, amen. All of that flows with union with God and the disciple through the Holy Spirit. We're not here to teach for the sake of just teaching. We're here to teach and pray that God would work in our fellowship, that He would work in my heart, that He would work in your heart. And there is the Holy Spirit's work in Lee Kemp, and there's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And we should walk in unity, not uniformity, not uniformity, but unity. We're not all going to look alike. We don't have to all believe everything in common. Everybody gets in that. Like that that's not what we're after. We're after unity, not uniformity. And then because there's the Spirit in you, and then there's a Spirit in me and Spirit in you, and then there's this thing, the Holy Spirit in us. Can I just say, have you ever seen a moment when uh, in life you'll watch people who are really gifted and, and powerful leaders emerge and they get in one room and you lean into that meeting and, you, and you're just a fly on the wall when you realize you're probably the one that's the lesser in the whole room? You ever found yourself in that kind of moment? And when you listen in the room and then all of a sudden, whatever you would have dreamed up that the, we should be doing because the meeting of the minds happen, something big and audacious comes about because they realize each one of us could go do something good on our own. If we're going to come together, we need to do something great. You ever seen something like that? Can I just say that I think that there should be a sensation of that when followers of Christ band together. There should be something where, man, there's some crazy awesome potential of something that we couldn't do on our own, but we can do it together. That's what energizes me as a pastor. I long and look for those moments where I have those revelations where I go, we couldn't have done that on our own. We did it together. And so I just ask you, Jesus has told us He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one is going to come to the Father except through Him. It starts simply like this. Has there been a time in your life where you asked the Lord Jesus to be your personal Savior and Lord? Meaning He's your leader. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one who you're going to lean into and to learn about. He's the one who you love because He's rescued you and will redeem you and help you recover and pursue the life He really has made for you. Do you know Him in that fashion? If you don't, then everything I have said needs to really just kind of fall away because you can't have some of these things till you have settled your confession of faith. And you need to make it a profession of faith. That's it. And how you say, well, what do I do there? Here's what I did. I said, Lord, in prayer, Lord, I really do love you. And I thank you because you loved me before I loved you. And I thank you that you've accepted me. But Lord, I ask you to save me. I ask you to change my heart and to be my boss. That's what I prayed that day. And I just said, I love you and I trust you from this day forward. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. And that was it. I didn't have any other Bible knowledge to pray anything else, but I'm going to tell you, that began a big, big redemption journey in my life. Where's your journey? 
And then some of us today, we're believers and you know it. And, and you know it, but I have to question you, how are you walking with the Lord Jesus? You know, we talked about we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about in Ephesians. Is there something in your life where you really feel like you should be talking to the Lord about, but you haven't? And you say it's no big deal, but now today you realize you get disoriented, you get confused. And really it's because you really haven't talked to the Lord about the thing. And it is really not just not a big deal, it's actually a big deal. Because it's keeping you from intimacy with God. And that's a big deal. And I just encourage you today, listen, He is the way. Come back to Him. He is the truth. He can bring that clarity you need. And He is the life. There is no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so, return. Return home. Come home spiritually today. Open up. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for us as we, as Winston comes and he plays and we have a song of response, I pray, Father, that we would just not move through these moments um, without really stopping and saying, God, what do you want us to know? Us as individuals. Lord, sometimes we, we've created our own way of living. Sometimes we're, we, we think our truth is probably the only truth. And Lord, I know oftentimes I forget that there is this life of godliness that you've prepared for us and I should just trust you even though I have moments of doubt. And so Lord, all of us can come to this moment today of searching our soul. And Lord, I just pray what David prayed. If there's ways within us that need to be brought to light, Lord, I just pray that's what you would do in our life. That, Lord, we realize this is a family of grace and trust and forgiveness and restoration. And, Lord, there's nothing that we're going through that we can't make it through with you and us together. Lord, there is, there is power in this room because of your Spirit moving in every one of us. And so, Lord, we bind the enemy. We cast that spirit of accusation and guilt and shame away from this. And we say, Lord, let truth reign in this place. But Lord, if there's someone here yet that doesn't know you, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would lead them to a place of trusting and obeying and turning away from a life of selfishness and asking, Lord, you to become their personal Savior. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.